How many of you today um, need for God to intervene in your situation? I don't know about you, but I love when God delivers. We're going to talk today out of Psalm 80. This was already in the uh, rotation. Actually, um, Psalm 80 goes very well with the 15th anniversary of 9-11. It is a psalm that teaches us about prayer that saves. Now, this is not just ordinary prayer. This is not just prayer as usual. This is prayer that results in action. This is prayer where God intervenes supernaturally. And throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, we find God's people, Old Testament people, New Testament people, in different situations where their backs are against the wall and where they have nowhere to turn and they cry out to God and God intervenes. That's saving prayer. And maybe you're here today in your marriage, in your family, with your children, uh, maybe with your job. You desperately need for God to intervene. Well, I believe that the Scripture will have something to say to you this morning as we uh, look at these principles in Psalm 80 this morning. Well, but primarily the application here this morning has to do not with the individual, although God cares about us as individuals and He cares about our families, but this application here has to do primarily with the corporate body. And I would say here, the body of Christ in the world, the body of Christ in North America especially, that's our... um, sort of uh, context, and then the body of Christ known as First Baptist Norfolk. You'll notice here in this psalm, he talks about, he uses personal pronouns that are plural. We, us, they, them. So this is a prayer for God to save. Now, not save in the sense of initial salvation. If you're here today and you don't have much of a church background, when we talk about being saved... We're talking about coming into a right relationship with God because we've been separated from Him. But when we hear about Jesus, we hear about the person of Jesus, the work of Jesus, what He did on the cross, His death, His burial, His resurrection. The Scripture says that if we believe in our hearts that God has raised Him from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. We're not talking about that kind of salvation. If you're here today and you are a Christian then you have experienced that salvation and you don't need to pray for that kind of salvation. That is once and for all done, established. When you accept Christ, you are placed into the body of Christ. You become God's child and that is forever. Here today what we're talking about is salvation in terms of God's intervention in our situation. And like I said, the primary... um, The primary application here is not to the individual. The context is for the nation, which in the Old Testament was the people of God. This would correspond today to the church because the church in our society is made up of many people from many different nationalities, and you're born a second time and you're added to the body of Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that we are baptized into the body by the Holy Spirit. We are placed into the body. So the the church today is made up of those who have received Jesus Christ as Savior. And so applying this psalm today to us would be applying it to the corporate body. Our church would be the first application. What does this psalm have to say about God's intervention in our situation? And where do we need God to intervene? 
And on that basis, are we willing to cry out to Him and asking Him to move and to act on our behalf? So think about that, and I want to read the text, and uh, then we'll jump right in and see what the Lord has to say uh, in this psalm. Psalm 80, Oh, give ear, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned above the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, three of the tribes of the northern kingdom, representing all of Israel. Stir up your power. In other words, God, take action. Reveal yourself. And come to save us. Okay? This is a prayer of, uh, for, for salvation, in a sense, from our situation. It's a prayer for God to intervene. On our behalf. O oh God, restore us and cause your face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. The psalmist is saying here, Lord, all it's going to take is for you to shine upon us, for your face, your countenance to beam with approval toward us, and we will be saved from our situation. Now, in this particular context, this is written, most people believe, before the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. And uh, so it was a time of national crisis, much like we think about today, 9-11, and how 9-11 has changed our nation and has changed our world and the war on terror and all the, the, uh, the social unrest in our society. We are living in critical times. So we need God to restore us. We need God to save us. We need God to intervene in our situations. O God, restore us and cause your face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with the prayer of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears, and you have made them to drink tears in large measure. You make us an object of of contention to our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. O O God of hosts, restore us and cause your face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. You removed a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground before it, and it took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shadow, and the cedars of God with its bows. It was sending out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why have you broken down its hedges so that all who pass uh, that way pick its fruit? A boar from the forest eats uh, eats it away, and whatever moves in the field feeds on it. O God of hosts, turn again now, we beseech you. Look down from heaven and see and take care of this vine. Even the sheep which which your right hand has planted, on the sun whom you have strengthened for yourself, it is burned with fire, it is cut down, they perish at the rebuke of your countenance. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand. Upon the Son of Man, whom you have made strong for yourself, then we shall not turn back from you. Revive us, and we will call upon your name. O Lord, God of hosts, restore us, cause your face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. Let's pray. Father, we just pray today that as we look into this text, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher Father, we are mindful that apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that we cannot understand spiritual truth. So we pray that our eyes would be opened. We pray that our hearts would be uh, tender and willing to receive instruction. 
We pray that you would teach us from your word. And then, Lord, we pray that we would be doers of the word, not hearers only who delude themselves. We pray that today that you would show us exactly how we need to apply your word to our lives individually, as families, and as a church family. Father, we pray that you would, um, that you would reveal to us ways where we need to be restored, where we need to be saved, where we need divine intervention. We pray it would be done for the glory of God and for the good of your church. We pray it in Jesus' name and all the Lord's people said, Amen. Now, prayer that saves. What are the principles that we can find from this text about the kind of prayer that saves? The kind of prayer where God intervenes in your situation. Intervenes in your situation so that your situation is changed instantaneously. Well, this kind of prayer is first and foremost rooted in God's Love. You'll notice what he does in verse 1 of, of Psalm 80. He says, Oh, give ear, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. Now, again, this is against the backdrop of the coming Assyrian invasion. Joseph represented the northern tribes. And so the psalmist is appealing to God on the basis of the relationship that God had with his uh, Old Testament people. And he says that you are a shepherd of Israel. And he calls out to God to give attention. You know how it is sometimes when your spouse is talking to you or you're talking to your children and they're listening, but they're not really listening. The psalmist here is asking God to listen, to pay attention. On the basis of the relationship as shepherd and sheep. Now, the... the, um, The fact that God is our shepherd is a common theme in the Old Testament. It's used in various places, Isaiah, Ezekiel, it's used in the Psalms. We think about Jesus when he said in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd, I lay down my life for the sheep. Hebrews 13 calls Jesus the great shepherd. 1 Peter chapter 5 says the chief shepherd. Jesus is our shepherd. Hebrews says he ever lives to make intercession for us. Hebrews chapter 2 says that he has been tempted in all ways, even as we have. He is able to come to the aid of his people. Yeah, I don't know about you, but sometimes we can think of prayer as a duty or an obligation or something that, you know, we're supposed to do or if we're spiritual, we need to do or we feel guilty if we're not doing it. But we need to think of prayer as a tremendous gift that God has given to his beloved. In fact, even in the Psalms here... Over in Psalm 83, it calls um, God's people his treasured ones. We are God's treasured ones. We are God's beloved. He is our shepherd and we're his sheep. And because of that, he cares for us. And, And that means that there is nothing that you can do. You cannot be so far away from God that you, if you do not call upon him, he will not hear you. You cannot sin so much that God will not listen to you. Now, if we don't turn from our sin, if we harden our hearts and everything, then God will discipline us because uh, the Bible says, whom God loves, he disciplines. But prayer is one of those privileges, one of those gifts that we have been given by virtue of that special relationship that we have with God our Father as our shepherd. We think about Psalm 23, a psalm that we all love. We hear so often at funerals, but it's great for other occasions too. The Lord is my shepherd. 
And we think of Joseph here. Joseph was uh, the, the famous character of the Old Testament and how he was sold into slavery. Uh, he was imprisoned unjustly. He went through terrible rejection of his brothers and all these circumstances. And years later, at near the end of his life, when his father had died and when he was afraid that his, bro- his brothers were afraid he was going to turn on them, he said to his brothers, what you did to me, you meant for evil, but God meant it for good. You see, because God was Joseph's shepherd. And that's exactly what he says here in Psalm 80, verse 1. Oh, give ear, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. I love some of the verses in the New Testament where it says, like in Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 3, it says that we have been given access in one spirit to the Father. Or Ephesians 3.12, In Christ we have boldness and confident access through faith in Him. Or Hebrews 4.16, Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God loves us and He is willing to intervene if we are willing to call upon Him. You know, there's a lot of stories in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, where Uh, People were in desperate situations, and they literally cried out to him. I challenge you to find one occasion in the Bible, Old Testament, where people cried out to him, where God did not respond in compassion. I don't know uh, if you know that much about uh, the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. Jim Cimbala, Pastor Jim Cimbala, started in the... Um, in the 70s or 80s, he wrote a book in uh, the late 90s, um, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, and he talks about going to that church, and it was in a very dangerous place in, in New York City, and uh, the church was just a few little struggling people, and, and he and his wife, Carol, they tried to do everything they could, and finally one night, they just conf- I don't remember exact um, details of this, but one night, they just confessed to the church, you know, we've done everything we can, we just, I guess we're going to have to turn the church back over to God. Out of that came a great revival. And throughout the years of Jim Cimbala's church, um, their church has been known for the, the, the amazing prayer that they have, where they call out to God. If you want to read a great book that's going to motivate you, read Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, because basically that book is stories about God's deliverance, this saving prayer where God intervenes miraculously on a given occasion because His people hum themselves and cry out to Him. And Jim Simla tells a story about his daughter, Chrissy, who had rebelled. He had not shared that with the church, um, but some of the leaders knew it, of course. But his daughter, Chrissy, had rebelled, and she had left home, and they didn't know where she was, somewhere in New York City. And, and one of the nights when they were going to prayer meeting, their prayer meetings are, are, are sometimes more well attended than their worship services. But their prayer meeting on Tuesday night, they went, and as Jim was driving to the prayer meeting, he got really convicted that he needed to humble himself and share with his church the brokenness that he and Carol had over the fact that their daughter, Chrissy, had rebelled against the Lord. So he gets up, and he shares that night in the prayer meeting, and he's broken, and he says, our daughter Chrissy is away from God. Before he even finished um, telling the story, this lady stands up in the church, and she starts calling out in a loud voice, Oh, God, have mercy, have mercy, God, intervene in this situation. And she just, she didn't care. And then the whole church started crying out together. That was on Tuesday. On Friday, Jim is studying for his message, and his wife, Carol, runs upstairs in their uh, place, where the house where they lived, and, and, and she runs up there. She said, Jim, come, come, come quickly. Chrissy's home. And he goes downstairs, and there's Chrissy, broken, 
And she says to her mom and dad, Mom, Dad, I'm so sorry. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against the Lord. I've sinned against the church. I'm so sorry. I'm coming home. And Jim and, and Carol were just overcome with joy and everything. And he said, when did this happen? She said, Tuesday night. When somebody in the church did not care how proper they seemed, and they stood up and started calling out on her behalf, the God of heaven acted on, them, on behalf of the church and the family. Prayer is an opportunity for us to come to our shepherd and to express our needs as individuals, as families, as a church. <laughs> Jeremiah 33 three says, Call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. Psalm 34, 15, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. God is our shepherd. And so saving prayer is rooted in the idea of God's love for us and of the divine privilege that we have as believers. We do not have to go through a pope. We do not have to go through a pastor. We can go straight into the throne of grace anytime we need to. And it doesn't matter how much we've sinned because the Bible says where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. It doesn't matter how rebellious we have been. It doesn't matter what our situation is. All we have to do is humble ourselves and cry out to Him. And guess what? He will instantaneously respond to our need. So saving prayer, this kind of prayer where God intervenes is rooted in God's love for us. It is rooted in God's compassion for us, God's mercy toward us. And that mercy and that compassion will never run out. And it's all of, always available to us at any time. You know, church family, I just wonder sometimes, why don't we cry out to God more? I guess we're stubborn. I guess we're prideful. I guess we think we can solve our own problems. Have you discovered yet that you don't have that much power over your own problems? You know, our church has had a long history of excellence. We've got great people. We've got great staff. We've got a great pastor. We, we've got all these wonderful assets. But you know what? All of those assets together are not sufficient without the power of God. The Lord said in the Old Testament, it is not by might, it is not by power, but it is by my spirit, says the Lord. Jesus said to his followers, and that's to us as well, he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. But we have a God who pays attention to us. So it is rooted in God's love. Secondly, it is focused on God's glory. Notice what he says in the second part of, of, uh, of verse 1. You are enthroned above the cherubim. Now, cherubim were winged angels uh, who had the special responsibility, Charles Ryrie says, of guarding God's holiness. He could be talking about the tabernacle or the temple where they had statues of <coughs> Cherubim, or he could be talking about the literal angels that are surrounding the throne of God in heaven. You who are throned above the cherubim, shine forth. 
And what the psalmist is really praying there is for God to manifest his glory. For God to manifest his glory. Now, there are times there's examples in the Old Testament, examples in the New Testament, where God manifested his glory in such a way that it got everybody's attention. In Exodus chapter 40, the Bible says the glory of the Lord. We talk about that as the Shekinah glory. The Shekinah glory of the Lord, the manifestation of God's glory, filled the temple, and the, Moses and the priests couldn't even go in. Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, that was, in a sense, the manifestation of the Shekinah glory of God through Jesus. And, and Peter and James and John were there with him, and Peter said, Lord, it is good to be here. You see, we as a church family, you as an individual Christian, we are in desperate need to see God's glory manifested. And so that's really what the psalmist is praying right here. The psalmist says, um, you who are enthroned above the, the cherubim, God, in all of your majesty and all of your greatness, shine forth and show yourself to be God. Where do you need for God to show himself through your life? Where do we need for God to shine forth in our church family? Notice in Psalm 79, verse 8, Do not remember the iniquities of our forefathers against us. Let your compassion come quickly to meet us, for we are, we are brought very low. Help us, O God, of our salvation. Notice this, for the glory of your name. See, it's not just about you. It's not just about us. We belong to God. The scripture says we have been bought with a price. We do not own ourselves. We exist for the glory of God. Paul said in Corinthians, By his doing you are in Christ Jesus so that no man could boast. And so he says, help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of your name and deliver us and forgive our sins for your namesake. Jeremiah 14, 7. Although our iniquities testify against us, O Lord, act for your namesake. See, prayers that really change things instantaneously have to do with the manifestation of God's glory. Uh, I think about stories in the Old Testament like when God intervened in Israel in their history and, and oftentimes like King Hesekiah in, uh, in 2 Kings, I believe it's chapter 19, cried out to the Lord. And one of the things he said to the Lord in that prayer is, Lord, you know, we belong to you. This is your name at stake, so to speak. And God acted in a supernatural way. The great uh, George Mueller, uh, who had the gift of faith. He was often known for his uh, praying in his prayers and reminding God that it was his reputation at stake. And I remember one occasion, a story I read about George Mueller where uh, uh, the cook in the kitchen came, the orphanage of five or 600 children, and the cook came to George Mueller and says, hey, George, we don't have any food for breakfast tomorrow. What are we going to do about it? And George said, well, we just need to pray about it. And so they bowed their heads and prayed, and George, here's what, basically what he said. Father, we know that these are your children and you always want to feed your children and it's also your reputation that's at stake. 
So thank you for the food that you're going to provide in Jesus' name. Amen. The cook just looked at him and shook his head and walked off. The next morning, about 5 o'clock, a farmer showed up in a wagon full of produce and food and poultry and meat and eggs and so forth. And he brought all the food that the orphanage needed. And when he was asked about it, he said, I, I was awake all night last night. I was turning. I, was, I couldn't sleep. And I finally got up and I prayed, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he said, the very first thing that popped in my mind was take food to the orphanage. You see, God wants to intervene on your behalf. God is willing to intervene on your behalf. God is willing to intervene on behalf of our church. It doesn't matter what we need in reality. If it is, if it is rooted in His love, it is focused on His glory, and it manifests His glory in a way to fulfill His purpose and benefit His people, God is willing to do it. You know what the Scripture says? If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us and we actually have the request that we have made. Jesus said, abide in my word and ask what you will and it will be done for you. It's prayer that changes the situation. And you know what? We can do it 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Because he who keeps Israel does not sleep nor does he slumber. If God be for you, who can be against you? Church, I think we really just don't understand who we are. I think we just don't understand what's available to us. Then in verse 2 he says, Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, that's three of the tribes, stir up your power. Uh, One commentary I read says that would be like saying flex your muscles. I've got a friend at the gym, One Life Gym. He's a bodybuilder, and when he flexes his muscles, he looks like some kind of alien creature from out of space or something. But, uh, you know, he doesn't look that way until he flexes. And that's really what the psalmist is praying for God to stir up his power and come to them on their behalf. And maybe you're today... And you need God to intervene in your family. Or you need God to intervene in your finances. And I'm sure there are ways that we need for God to intervene in our church. And we simply need to call out to Him. Prayer that saves is prayer that's desperate. O God, restore us and cause your face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. If you look over at Psalm 107, and this is really really an example, uh, Acts chapter 4 being an example of this, where the uh, apostles are being persecuted, they were imprisoned, they were released, and they went to their companions, and they cried out in one accord to the Lord, and they acknowledged His glory, they acknowledged His sovereign right, they cried out to God, and then in verse 31 of Acts chapter 4 it says, And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. And grace was upon them all. 
In Psalm 107, it's just, a, it's just a cycle of people getting in desperate situations. And then over and over again in Psalm 107, verse 6 is an example. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. Then they cried out after they did everything they could to solve their own problems. After they waited a while because of their male pride. After they exhausted all their resources. After they tried to get everything that they have at their uh, uh, disposal engaged in their problem, when they could not solve their own problem, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distresses. Over and over again in the Bible, just go, you just try it. You go to the Bible and you read stories where God's people, Old Testament and New Testament, had their back against the wall. They had no way out. They had no one to help them. And they cried out to God and he delivered Prayer that saves is desperate prayer. He says, cause your face to shine on us. He's really praying for God's favor and we will be saved. Prayer that saves is persistent in character. Now you notice here in verse 3, he says, O God, restore us and cause your face to shine upon us and we will be saved. He says the same thing in verse 7. O God of hosts, restore us and cause your face to shine upon us and we will be saved. Same in verse 19 or verse 18 and 19. Revive us and we will call upon your name. O Lord God of hosts, restore us, cause your face to shine upon us and we will be saved. In Matthew chapter 7, it says, Ask and it will be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. By the way, those are present tense. It could be keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Jesus told a story in Luke chapter 18, verse 1. It says, He told this parable so that people, his disciples would know that we should always pray and not lose heart. And he told the story of a widow that continued to bother a judge. And the judge did not care about her, but because she would not leave him alone, he finally did what she requested. In verse 7, Jesus said, How much more than a judge who did not care about this widow, how much more will God speedily come to the aid of his elect who cry out to him? Friend, have you cried out to God lately? Have you gotten your family together and cried out to God? Guys, have you, if you're married and you've got a family, have you cried out to God on behalf of your family? Church family, have we cried out to God to do something in us that can only be explained by the supernatural intervention of Him? I don't know about you, but I do not want to be a part of a church that everything they do can be explained by their human resources or by their gifts, or their talents, or their money, or their prosperity. I don't want to be a part of a church that can be explained by human activity. I want to be a part of a church where everybody knows, inside and outside the church, that is only accomplished by the glory of God. Israel in the Old Testament had the reputation in all the nations around her feared her because of who her God was. So prayer that saves is persistent in character. Now, how do we know when we need this kind of prayer? Look at verse 4. O Lord, God of hosts, how long will you be angry with the prayer of your people? Now, he's not really, I don't think God gets angry with our prayer. I think what the psalmist is saying there translated would mean, um, you must be angry with our prayers because, you know, we're praying and nothing's happening. 
We're going through all the motions. We're, we're doing everything we're supposed to do, but we don't see that, there, that much effectiveness. Here's three evidences of that. Verse 5, you have fed them with the bread of tears, and you have made them to drink tears in large measure. I've never seen people, I've been a pastor 30 years, I've never seen people so broken as today. I was out last night real quickly trying to buy a washer or dryer because my dryer quit and I've been hanging my clothes out on the bushes and everything else in the backyard. And, and um, so I went out to Sears and I was going to get their Labor Day sales, good, pretty good sale. And this lady I started talking to and, and she started telling me all her problems. And I was sitting there thinking, um, I've really got to go finish this message. But you know, I thought as I left, everywhere you go, people are so burdened. People are so broken. And here's what he says in the, in the psalm here. He says, you have fed them with the bread of tears. You have made them to drink tears in large measure. So there's the brokenness. Then there's disrespect and disregard. Verse 6, you make us an object of contention, contention to our neighbors. Contention is strife or struggle or controversy. Uh, you know, our neighbors, people that are not Christians in our society now are looking at the church as though we're the source of the problem in our society. Used to the church had a favored position in the society. Now suddenly the church is the problem. We are arrogant. We are racist. We are this. We are that. That's the way society looks at us. Disregard. New Living Translation there says scorn. And then persecution. Verse, and our enemies laugh among themselves. The New Living Translation says that uh, the, the, our enemies treat us as a joke. And basically, you know that this is true, that in, in society at large out there today, the, church, the, the people that are outside the church, they really think the church is irrelevant. That's because we're broken down. That's because they no longer respect. That's because they don't see the glory of God. Then he tells a story. He tells a story to help them understand their situation, verse 8 through 11. Basically, you don't have time to go over all the details of this. It's the story of God in a metaphor taking a vine. He does that in the Old Testament, the New Testament. You know, Jesus said in John 15, I'm the vine, you are the branches. There are different metaphors in the, in the Bible to describe the relationship we have. Shepherd and sheep is one of them. Vine is another one. Uh, a head and a body, uh, uh, a bride and a groom. There's different metaphors that are used, but he uses the metaphor of a vine to describe how God took um, uh, what became the nation of Israel out of um, Egypt and he planted this vine and this vine spread all over the land from the Mediterranean Sea all the way to the river Euphrates and it was like kudzu. It just was covering the mountains and the, the shade of the vine was higher than the mountains and higher than the cedars. God blessed his people. Read Deuteronomy 28. God said to his people then, and the same thing applies to us today, he says, if you will obey me, I will make you the head and not the tail. I will set you high above all the nations of the earth. I will bless you. I will bless you. I will prosper you. I will pour out my grace upon you so that everybody in the world will know that you are my special people. That's what the Lord wants to do. Listen to what he says in Psalm 81. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel did not obey me. So I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would quickly subdue their enemies. 
and turn my hand against their adversaries. Those who hate the Lord would pretend obedience to him and their time of punishment would be forever. But I would feed you with the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. Let me tell you something. God wants to bless his church. And when we need deliverance, when we need for God to intervene, all we have to do is cry out to him. And then what happens in Psalm 80, he says, verse 12, the hedges are broken down. In other words, God removes his protection. And he gives some, uh, some word pictures here of, of how that discipline is manifested, of thieves coming in and steal the fruit of the land, of wild animals ravaging the crops, or fire destroying the vine, verse 16. And in verse 14, he says, Oh, God of hosts, uh, turn again now, we beseech you. Look down from heaven and see and take care of this vine. You know, it's interesting that they're telling God to look down and see because God doesn't miss anything. We could say the same thing today in the church in America. We could say the same thing to some extent of our church, of every church in America. I know, you know, Kurt was up here recently talking about all the miraculous things that God is doing and he's seeing and our people that go on mission trips are seeing across the world. But you know, when you go across America and you look at the church, you don't see those kinds of things happening as much now. You know why? Because we're like Israel. And some of this pain and brokenness and some of this disrespect and disregard and some of this persecution and some of these, some of these consequences of discipline like animals destroying the field or like fire burning down the vine. You know, those things, are, that's happening in the church too. And so the psalmist says, O God of, heaven, of hosts, turn again now, we beseech you. Look down from heaven and see and take care of this vine. We can say the same thing. God, look down from heaven and see your church today. Verse 17, let your hand be upon your, the man of your right hand, upon the son of man whom you've made strong for yourself. Now, that's, most people think that's Israel spoken of as a man because in the Old Testament, God speaks of Israel as his firstborn son. Firstborn son had the place of honor. God says, I'm going to make you, Deuteronomy says, I'm going to make you a special nation, not because you're big, not because you're something, but because you're going to be my own special people. Just like he says in Peter that we are a royal priesthood, a, a nation that is set apart, a, a body of people that is set apart from all the people of the world. Upon the Son of Man whom you made strong for yourself, then we shall not turn back from you. Revive us. And also notice the order here. It's not that we revive ourselves and then we ask God to bless us. He says, for God to revive us and we will call upon your name. You know what? We, we've got to even have God to start the process. You know what that means? Is that we are impotent to change our situation. We are impotent to do anything about the things that we can't overcome. We are impotent. Why can't we admit that? Why can't we humble ourselves and admit that there are things that only God can do? Revive us and we will call upon your name. O oh Lord God of hosts, restore us. Cause your face to shine upon us and we will say, let me tell you something, church, and I wish I had some more time to preach because I'm really getting into this. Let me tell you something. We need revival. We need a revival across the land, but you know what? We need revival in this church. 
We need to call upon God in a new and a fresh way. And if we will, He will quickly come to our aid. Because He loves us and we are His treasured possession. Father, I pray today that you would break us. I pray that you would humble us. I pray, God, that you would bring us to our knees. I pray for families that are here today, Lord, that that need instantaneous, miraculous intervention. For individuals here, Father, whose, whose lives are just one bad consequence after the next, maybe some to their doing, some not to their doing, but Father, I pray that we would humble ourselves and call upon your name. And that, Lord, as this psalm says here, that you would cause your face to shine upon us and you would save us. I pray, Father, that, that our church would call upon you, Lord, to do what only you can do. We ask that this will be done for the glory and the fame of your Son, Jesus, and the well-being of your body, your beloved church. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.